Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Good morning. Today is the day the Lord has made. It is Monday, October the 7th, 2019. We will rejoice. We will be glad in it, even though there are uh, headlines today that, as you've already heard at the top of the hour, are troubling. Uh, I'm going to be talking in the bottom of the hour uh, about developments in the impeachment inquiry, a case before the U.S. Supreme Court that has them reconsidering the Roe v. Wade decision of 1973. Uh, And also a tragic story from Dallas where the key witness in the case of the former police officer, Amber Geiger, um, who was just convicted last week of the home invasion shooting of her neighbor, Botham Jean. Well, the young man or one of the one of the key witnesses in that case uh, has apparently been uh, ambushed. He's been killed outside of his apartment this past Friday night. Um, And so we're going to talk about that uh, a little later as well. But first up this morning. Brandon Showalter and I are going to cover a number of headlines that you may have missed at the end of last week um, and and headlines that you need to be aware of as you consider bringing your faith in Jesus Christ to bear on the conversations of this day. So let me give a little happy Thanksgiving shout out to our nice neighbors uh, to the north in Canada. Uh, We recognize you don't celebrate Thanksgiving in all of the same ways that we do, um, but happy Thanksgiving to those of you who live in Canada today. Uh, Every day for the Christian is a day of thanksgiving. And so let us be people who are giving thanks in the midst of all circumstances. Uh, I, I'm, I will acknowledge I'm not, I'm not a person who gives thanks for uh, all circumstances because sometimes it's hard to find cause to give thanksgiving to God for the difficulties that I or others are enduring. But I can give thanks in. I can give thanks in the midst of any and every circumstance, because God is with us. God never leaves us. He never forsakes us. Uh, There's nothing that he doesn't see. There's nothing about which he is unconcerned. And there is nothing, nothing that he is not going to redeem. Nothing. And so um, whatever you are facing today, you can face it with the confidence that God is going to redeem. God is going to redeem. Um, and so if you're if you're struggling today to see the goodness in the midst of whatever you're facing, um, turn toward the one alone who is good in the midst of it all. He is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, um, and he is certainly turned toward us. Brandon Showalter from the Christian Post up next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Brandon Showalter from the Christian Post. You can read everything we're talking about today at ChristianPost.com. Brandon, welcome back. Good morning, Carmen. Good morning. So uh, 
Wow. We, you and I have a lot to cover. So I'm just going to jump right in. Um, so Greta um, Thunberg is a young woman from Sweden. And the church in Sweden, now we, we recognize her as this uh, young, um, I was going to use the word hysterical. That might not be, that, that might be um, strong, but uh, she is a very young climate change activist. Her ideas are um, really extreme, and she has been platformed at places like the UN. Uh, and she's a little bit of a media sweetheart. I mean, they love putting her in her really cute braids up there um, in, in every media platform they can find. The Church of Sweden, the church in Sweden, has now named her the successor to Jesus Christ. This seems quite extreme to me. Well, you're not kidding. Uh, this wasn't the official Church of Sweden nationally, but uh, this was a particular, I mean, obviously it's the Church of Sweden. It's, it's kind of like the Church of England and in that it's the national religion, except it is no longer, it ceased being the national uh, you know, faith of Sweden back in around 2000. But yes, the Church of Sweden in Linham, which is near Malmo, uh, this, a tweet resurfaced from about a year ago amid uh, Greta's, you know, activism at the UN, where they <laughs> they said, you know, announcement: Jesus of Nazareth has now appointed one of his successors, Greta Thunberg. Uh, and it's uh, <laughs> they then tried to sort of walk it back a little bit and say that there are many ways to use the word success, and there's nuances to it, but the point was pretty clear that she was she had very elevated status <laughs> so it's interesting the ward pastor in a in a follow-up tweet um was apologetic for uh if if, if, if anyone's feelings had been hurt um saying you know that was never our uh right he says it was never our opinion which is interesting and then he says it, it, our sense has been to talk about jesus in our own way i think what i'd like to highlight here is is that sort of sense that However, we want to talk about Jesus ought to be okay, um, and everyone else ought to simply just uh, understand without any explanation what we mean by whatever uh, variances of language we use. And I would appeal to our listeners right now to talk specifically about Jesus in the same way Jesus talked about Jesus and in the ways in which the scriptures talk about Jesus. We don't need to add anything to that. Indeed, Jesus is who he is, and his word is the standard, and so I think this whole this kind of self, self-created self and talking about him in fresh days, we can't improve upon you know, God's holy word in terms of how it talks about his son. We really can't. Exactly. All right, so um, because I know you are willing to go where few of my guests are willing to go, let's talk about hashtag eat the babies. Now, this um, this incident that took place last week, at a uh, town hall meeting for a member of Congress where uh, a person in the audience, and I'm not going to get into what the motivations of the person in the audience were because I don't know, um, but whatever her motivation was, she was advocating that, um, you know, to bring climate change to uh, uh, into swift reversal, we should eat the babies. And no one, including the member of Congress standing at the front, said, okay, that goes beyond the pale of what we're we're even willing to entertain um, instead, well, that's, you know, that, that is one option like that. That's no, it's not. We don't eat the babies. Tell us what's going on here. Well, to my best, uh, uh, knowledge that ended up being exposed as a stunt that was pulled, um, out at Congressman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's town hall. Uh, the woman who was talking about that, she clearly looked kind of mentally disturbed, 
talking about needing to preserve the planet and doing that, which is, there's, isn't there a big Jonathan Swift essay about, you know, doing that? And that was satire, but this lady looked apparently was serious, but this was, a, this ended up being this particular town hall, uh, seemed to be kind of a stunt. And I, you know, to be honest, um, I, <laughs> it, you know, Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez's you know, Green New Deal is is one thing, but I think that would have been such a bizarre scenario. I I'm not sure I would have known how to have handled it because that's just so appalling and shocking. But yeah, that's that's kind of one of those things that I think you just have to shut down completely right away, <laughs> or stunt right. or not. <laughs> that's and and I think that's what we can say to people. Right, there are right. some things that when they are suggested. We are morally obligated to say, no, no, you're not. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, this is not something I'm platforming. This is not a conversation I'm entertaining. No, we're not having that right. conversation. And and I realize that takes a moral courage of the person with the mm-hmm. microphone or the control of the sound system. Um, but in this case, that would have been the most appropriate thing to do. All right. Absolutely. Um, uh, religious children are more generous. You guys have this uh, at ChristianPost.com. I I, you know, I think that this is a a conversation we should have. A journal has retracted an article uh, claiming that religious children are less generous than non-religious because, in fact, the reverse is true. Yes, this is a fascinating uh, study and sort of how, you know, know, published works and, you know, peer-reviewed articles get retracted, which is which is fascinating. And it was an article um, called The Negative Association Between Religiousness and Children, Children's Altruism Across the World. And when it was first published, it is from a University of Chicago professor, uh, and it was almost immediately called into question uh, because someone had reached the opposite conclusion. And then so he scrutinized the study and it was you know, the errors in coding were soon pointed out. But that was, you know, back in 2015-16 when all that went down. But it was finally formally retracted this year, just just very recently. Uh, And to me, it certainly looks like this is just an ideologue in an ivory tower with an axe to grind against Christians in particular. That's just certainly how it smells. (laughs) But um, this, this is a very interesting case study in, you know, you know, People who put out "quote unquote" studies uh, don't always get it right, and uh, it's it's why we, we've got to care about the truth no matter where it is. And um, basically, what happened was uh, they uh, this this guy who who wrote the study uh, by the last name of Desetti, he had collected the data from across several countries, including the you know United States, Canada, Turkey, and he had coded it accordingly. Um, and though he had controlled for every country where he was measuring the generosity of, of children, both you know religious and not, that he had not controlled for each country, but he had treated it as you know a single continuous variable. So, you know, for example, yeah, it just it, it was it was it was treated it's across the board. It's not a map. it was a map. It wasn't it was not done country by country. And so, whatever you thought of, you know the relative merits of the rankings of each nation, it wasn't the right way to analyze the data. And so when we're, when we're reading, when we're consuming um, information and media, because the, uh, the incorrect, inaccurate, false information right. was published very, very widely. Very um, widely. And yet the corrected 
uh, or the correction has been covered much more narrowly. So I just think that we need to remind people that, um, you know, we we are the curators of the media that we consume and uh, mm-hmm. and that we read disseminate through our own social media platforms. And we just have to be careful when we do that. Hey, Brandon, you and I got to take a quick break when we come back. Um, I want to talk about the 400-year experiment of the black American family. That's up next. You're on Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen. I'm talking with Brandon Showalter from the Christian Post. Continuing my conversation with Brandon Showalter from the Christian Post, this story that you guys have posted, Brandon, uh, really intrigued me. How to address America's 400-year experiment on the black on the black family. This is a uh, this is a Harvard professor, uh, a, a sociologist from Harvard University. She is African American, and she is making this appeal. Could you uh, share share with us? This is I thought this was very intriguing. Well, this is a very fascinating event that I thought it was a real privilege to report on because it actually took place at my church. It was uh, my my home parish, Truro Anglican in Fairfax, Virginia, and you know. At our church, we've been engaging how to, you know, more effectively minister to the needs of society and to take into account all that has transpired, even since the beginning. So we have a full context, um, a full picture of uh, what those needs are. Uh, And so Dr. Jacqueline Rivers, who is a lecturer of sociology at Harvard, as you mentioned, uh, gave this really scintillating lecture about how from the beginning, you know, 1619, the New York Times has been doing this series about you know, how slavery has, you know, shaped um, America. I mean, I would argue that they've got more of an ideological axe to grind there. But we indeed, you know, slavery and the horrible legacy that that has left has affected, you know, the black family in ways. And uh, as we consider the social breakdown of, you know, families and marriage, uh, particularly among the black community, it's important to understand all that. And so she gave sort of a great sociological analysis of everything that has happened from 16. I mean, obviously, that's a lot of ground to cover, but a very kind of bird's eye view of how family has been assaulted in the United States, especially among blacks, you know, tracing everything from how slave masters used to treat, you know, families, tearing them apart, selling, you know, black people, and then throughout, up throughout the more modern era and where we have structural problems within a criminal justice system that disproportionately affects blacks. Um, It was a brilliant lecture. And so we as a church wanting to engage this problem. So we wanted a full understanding of, you know, everything as best we can that has happened to it. And so the retreat from marriage that we're seeing in culture, again, especially among the blacks, but also among whites now too, if we want to build a healthy culture of marriage and families, it requires us to have a fuller understanding of the scope of the problem. Um, she was and she just provided some really great analysis of all of that. Um, it was really it was just it was an amazing event. I'm going to read a couple of the quotes you've got in the piece. Uh, again, this is uh, these are quotes uh, Brandon Showalter collected at an event at his home parish. And Jacqueline Rivers, a sociologist at Harvard University, is the is the person speaking. She says, we are people of the spirit. We are Christians. We serve Jesus. And for that reason, the question of the family is all the more important. It's important because marriage really is an illustration of the relationship not only between Yahweh and Israel, but also between Jesus and the church. And then later you say, in these days, that she says, this again, this is a quote, in these days when marriage is under so much fire from so many different directions, it's important for us in the church to engage. Because if the Holy Spirit is going to use us to address the problem, 
We need to be well-equipped and understand what the problem is. Brandon, I got to tell you, part of my enthusiasm for this is that she is so, um, she's so open and honest, not only about the reality of the sociological problem that she is that right. she's discussing and addressing, but she's doing so as a Christian um, with spiritual language, helping Christians actually understand how to engage from, uh, from a redemptive worldview. It was so refreshing. I, you know, I think sometimes when people think, you know, oh, Harvard sociologist, she's going to be, I mean, no, this woman is a solid on fire believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And she, she gets from a gospel perspective, why this is a crisis. And so, um, and, and the, the, for her to sort of set forth and, and frame her lecture in those terms, I just thought was so wonderful. And, um, uh, I I just I it was brilliant. I can't get over how good it was. And uh, we had you know, dozens of different churches in attendance. Hundreds were there, and I think people were really hungry to uh, approach this issue very holistically from every possible angle, so that we we don't just sort of slap a bandaid on and sort of think that oh well, if people would just do this, this would be fine. And it's like no, we we've got to we've got to really dig deep and get a grasp on this uh, and understand it as, from God's perspective, we want to see this through a biblical lens, certainly through a gospel lens, but we've got to understand history too, because that's going to inform how we approach um, how the gospel can apply to this. Absolutely. I love that you uh, that you say she concluded her remarks on a hopeful note, stressing that though decades of unaddressed structural problems have harmed many blacks, quote, with the right social policy levers and church-based action, it is possible to begin the long, slow process of shifting marriage patterns in the black community and in the nation. Uh, I think that, um, Brandon, I want to just thank you for bringing us this story, and I hope that you will follow up and bring us more from uh, Professor Jacqueline Rivers at Harvard. I hope so, too. She and her husband, they are a dynamic duo. And when he preaches, watch out, because it is straight liquid fire. <laughs> Amen. Hey, we love having you on, Brandon. Thanks for joining us. You guys can catch Brandon at The Christian Post and at Brandon T. Show uh, on Twitter. We'll be right back. All right. So there's a lot. Um, there's just a lot happening right now uh, across the country and around the world. And uh, I, I feel like what I want to talk about next is the U.S. Supreme Court, which commences its 2019-2020 term today, formally back on the bench today, hearing oral arguments. Um, several of the cases before the U.S. Supreme Court are actually First Amendment questions surrounding the scope of the Constitution's guarantee of our religious freedom. And so at the end of their last term, the court upheld, you might remember, the Bladensburg World War II Memorial. It's a historic cross-shaped monument. It sits on public land. Uh, the court said, mm, nothing wrong with that. Um, in a major case over religious discrimination, we now have the court considering Espinoza v. Montana Department of Revenue. And uh, the question is whether or not Montana violated the First Amendment by barring students who receive student aid from tax credit scholarship programs from using those funds to attend religious schools. Um, and so that question is up before the court. There are other major cases, like three that have all been rolled into one. Some of these cases we've talked about independently. Um, but they're going to they're gonna discuss basically sexual orientation and gender identity, these SOGI laws that have emerged in, in states across the country. And so the Supreme Court has rolled a case from Michigan, uh, and one from Georgia, 
and I can't remember where the Altitude Express uh, v. Zarda uh, originated, but these have uh, really enormous implications for ministries and Christian-owned businesses and faith-based organizations. The court is hearing those cases all rolled into one um, related to really whether or not Christians can maintain their understanding of human identity and sexual relationships or if we are going to be forced to adopt uh, the agenda of those who prefer to see those um, realities differently. So the U.S. Supreme Court has also agreed to hear a case that, frankly, might undo uh, part of, at least, the 1973 Roe v. Wade case on abortion. And so to discuss that, Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College is up next. All right, my uh, pastor appreciation shout out this morning is to Scott Patty. Thank you so much. I love you. We love you as our pastor. Um, Okay, my Faith Radio uh, reminder today, Faith Radio and the University of Northwestern St. Paul are offering a free online course. It actually starts today, runs through the 20th of October. It's called Navigating Grief with Humor. It's taught by Professor Melissa Mork. The course is designed for both those who are grieving and those who desire to help those who are grieving. So if you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, either yourself or with someone who is your friend or loved one, this is for you. It's a free course, uh, optional credit for those of you enrolled at, uh, at the University of Northwestern St. Paul. You can find out how humor can help a grieving heart cope, build resilience, and find purpose during moments of sorrow. So learn more and register online today. The course begins today, so do it now at MyFaithRadio.com. The most important thing in my life is my relationships with my family, my friends, my coworkers, and most importantly, with God. But do you ever think about your relationship with money? Hi, I'm Callie Breeze with Thrivent, helping you be wise and thrive. All of us relate to money in some way. It becomes unhealthy when you start to form an attachment to it. Maybe you see it as a security blanket and it leads you to fearfully hoard just in case. Or you may use money to create a moment of temporary happiness and you suddenly find yourself spending with reckless abandon. You know, it's funny. In our relationships with people, we strive for emotional connection. In our relationship with money, we should want just the opposite. If you find yourself making an emotional connection to money, you're in for a world of discontentment. So here's some advice. Save your emotional connections for your relationships with God and with others. And instead, use your money as a tool to live out your faith. All right, Adam Carrington is back in the house from Hillsdale College. I love talking with him. Adam, I have to do a little cleanup uh, for a mess I just made on aisle five. Can I have Can I have 30 seconds to clean up a mess I made? Uh, as a former grocery bagger, absolutely. <laughs> okay, so I just announced that today was the last day that you could register for a free online course called Navigating Grief with Humor. Actually, today's the first day you can register. So go ahead and register, um, but you actually have until October 20th to register. The course begins October the 28th. So that's my cleanup here uh, on aisle five. The free online course, Navigating Grief, Grief with Humor. You can start registering today. It's free. Uh, registration runs through the 20th. The course begins on October the 28th. So as a professor, you understand the need for people to um, know the difference between when registration is and when a course begins. 
Yes, that's uh, that's a pretty big deal. I, I, I advise a lot of students who, who our main goal is to, you know, get them a good education, but also get them to graduate and fulfill the requirements. And especially with freshmen, sometimes that distinction uh, it hasn't quite gotten into their heads yet. So that's exactly right. OK, so I am pretty excited and I know you are, too. The Supreme Court is now fully engaged in its 2019-2020 term. Tell us about this Louisiana abortion case that was granted cert by the U.S. Supreme Court. Yeah, uh, this. Uh, oh, <laughs> am I not right? Uh, you Did are right, and I apologize. I just had a uh, uh, something. Do we want to talk up. impeachment first? <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I, I'm happy to. I apologize. Uh, I had a, a mess up on my on my on my line. Uh, no, no, no. This this case is going to be very interesting from Louisiana, and um, it is actually uh, similar to the case if people remember a couple years ago with uh, Texas. It's an attempt to regulate and make abortion. Um, Facilities have admitting privileges within uh, 30 miles uh, for a hospital within 30 miles of where uh, they operate. And what's interesting is this is going to be the first abortion case since uh, Justices Kavanaugh and um, uh, Justice Gorsuch joined the court. And why this is a big deal is we've known since the 90s that five justices at least on the court have been committed to keeping Roe intact and for the most part, keeping most abortion restrictions to a minimum. Um, this is the first time where we're going to have a majority of the court where that's really up in the air. And it's going to be very interesting to see what direction the court wants to go on abortion. So as an outsider to the legal part of the process, if I just look at this on on its face and I say, if if what is argued is that access to abortion um is healthcare if it's if it which is what it's being you know marketed as it's it's marketed as women's healthcare why wouldn't i want that to happen in a facility with a doctor who has admitting privileges at a hospital why would this I, this doesn't seem like a an abortion restriction conversation to me at all this seems like a a strange way of authorizing people who who are not doctors in facilities that are not medical facilities to perform abortions. I, I don't even get the rationale behind why people would defend wanting abortions to take place by non-medical personnel in non-medical facilities that don't have relationships with a hospital should something go wrong. I, I just I don't even understand that. And I'll say two things about that. One is I think that in light of especially some of the gruesome instances that we've been hearing about of uh, uh, Gosnell just a few years ago, but this recent very strange the, uh, instance that your listeners might be aware of, of uh, an abortion doctor keeping uh, a dead child remains in his basement. I mean, th this all makes sense given some of these stories. I'll, I'll at least tell you what the argument on the other side is, uh, not necessarily that I agree with it. It's that um, wh what that one uh, very, very, very few uh, abortions, they argue, result in the need to go to a hospital. So the argument is they that, that it's not needed very often, uh, although 
that I think is problematic. Uh, the other is the idea that what's really going on here is that these this legislation is meant to squeeze out abortion clinics to try to get them to shut down because they won't be able to comply with regulations. Uh, again, I think that goes back though to your claim. If if these are really necessary uh, medical uh, procedures, uh, then you need to have some protection for the patients and to actually do so in some way that uh, gives basic health standards. Even even abortion allowance uh, cases like Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood v. Casey all said reasonable regulations for health and safety are entirely within the purview of any state. One of the things I like about um seemingly standing on the other side of a conversation about government regulation. Like, right, I am normally standing on the side where it says, um, I don't think we need regulations related to soda pop or straws or whatever. Um, But on, you know, in this case, I would say, hey, when it comes to, um, in my view, taking the life of one individual, but certainly uh, what is now widely regarded as a medical procedure for another individual, and it is surgical, um, and if I were having my wisdom teeth pulled, my where the the facility where I am having that and the doctor performing it would have to have admitting privileges at a hospital because something is taking place that may, although in very few circumstances, may result in my needing to be admitted to a hospital. And I want that safeguard, that guarantee. Right. And I think this goes back to the fundamental question on both counts. What is the purpose of government ultimately and most fundamentally? And even the most uh, libertarian leaning of students I have agrees that protecting life and basic safety and health are entirely within the purview of government. And if it, and and why do we have government if not? Governments are really instituted because we're not safe from the abuse of others. And in this instance, the abuse could be bad medical uh, procedures, uh, uh, sloppy or dirty medical procedures. And then the other you pointed out too, though, if, if you take it to its, its logical conclusion, it questions the whole abortion regime itself because it's one thing to... Um, harm someone else's body and health, it's another thing to destroy their life entirely. So in some ways, these two are linked, even if the courts have tried to distinguish them and what can and can't be regulated. All right, Adam, you always uh, help me understand the breadth and depth of subject matter, and I really appreciate that. I'm talking with Adam Carrington. He's a professor at Hillsdale College. He and I are going to take a very brief break. When we come back, we're going to talk about some developments in the impeachment inquiry Um, including that we now have a second or more whistleblower. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. So delving into the impeachment inquiry uh, conversation with Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. Um, Adam, uh, this story develops rapidly every single, it's not even every single day. It does seem that, you know, as hours pass, the story continues to develop and evolve. So um, bring us bring us in at whatever point you want to start. Obviously, we've been talking about this um, now since uh, since the inception of the formal inquiry uh, impeachment. Um, and so bring us in where and then bring us up to speed. Right. I, I, I think um, a, a good way to do this, or maybe we should just keep listening to Chris Tomlin. Maybe that's my, that's what we should do. No. <laughs> so I, my, uh... my verse, my verse related to this is Jesus saying to Peter, they're going to take you places you don't want to go. 
Yes. And, 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 and who knows where this will all go. And I think we're still really in the information gathering stage. That's really, Mm. I think the overall thing that people should do, even as many people on both sides immediately try to interpret every new thing that happens or even allegation that's un, un, uh, substantiated into the defining point of the whole inquiry. I think what we really need to understand is, uh, one, there's been a second whistleblower that has come forward, and it sounds as if the uh, what the whistleblower has from the intelligence community is basically to corroborate some of what the first whistleblower said. No massive new uh, big allegations. Uh, we also do have some uh, um, uh, alleged, but I think real possibility of improprieties by some of the Democrats that are uh, br- they're watching over this process, not admitting to what they knew, not admitting to who they talked to. The whistleblower seems to have talked to Adam Schiff, for example, before coming forward. So uh, um, uh, what we're seeing is uh, a lot of warts and we're and I think going forward, what we really need to do is keep letting this investigation take hold, see what they really find, try to discern what is partisan attacks versus not. And I, I think something that I found really interesting is how the president's supporters are reacting to to the allegations. Um, and I see sort of two lines developing, and we'll see if they maintain themselves. The first is to defend the actual actions that the president was merely trying in his calls with Ukraine. And now we see he was pushing other countries to investigate his political rivals, that uh, these weren't political, that these were merely trying to uproot corruption, that the president was put in place to stop these kind of people, uh, to drain the swamp, as he often says, from 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 corruption. Uh, people like uh, Hugh Hewitt, uh, the, the national talk show host, is one example of that. But I found very interesting uh, Tucker Carlson, uh, the, who has the Fox News show on, on the evening uh, even, evening on Fox News. Uh, he co-wrote an op-ed that actually um, uh, took a different tact. He said, um, actually, what we saw here was bad, which was very surprising given how, how much he uh, defends the president. What we saw here is bad. It's not excusable, but it's not impeachable. Uh, In other words, he moved to the idea that we don't want to defend the president's actions, but we want to say that impeachment is a gross overreaction. And I think as more information comes out, as this intelligence gathering brings out new facts, uh, uh, dismisses old allegations, um, how much uh, the question of were these actions intrinsically good or were they just not impeachable? What will be the storyline for those who are defending the president? And uh, I think we've got a long way to go to figure out what that will look like. But it's interesting how that's dividing up. Adam, I feel like how we have this conversation every time it happens over our own dinner tables and with the people uh, whom we encounter just in the in the rounds of life, um, I feel like how we are having this conversation is really significant and important. And I want to just remind everybody that it's not clear exactly what happened. Um, it, the, some things are clear. The president has basically said what he has done. Um, he views those things as righteous and right. Others view them as not righteous and right. And so when we when we approach this conversation, 
we need to recognize that this is a conversation that we as a culture, as a country are having about what are the limits of the power of the person whom we have collectively elected to serve as our executive. And and we're the only ones ultimately in a position to hold that individual accountable. Can you speak to the the way accountability is designed to work in this country based on what the founders have said? Right. And I'll actually say just for those conversations as a preview to that, uh, keep in mind Proverbs 18.2. Mm. A fool a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. I think everyone should be keeping that in mind as we have this conversation and as we decide whether, how, whether and how to hold this president accountable or his accusers if they're over overstating their, their bounds. And there's two ways that we hold those we've placed in power accountable. Um, the normal and regular way are elections, which we'll have for the president next year, where we say, you have had four years in office your opponent is claiming that that he or she would be a better person to execute this job. And we make that determination of better and worse, good or bad, at the ballot box. The extraordinary way that we are talking about now is the concept of impeachment. And why would you have impeachment when you already have elections? It's the idea that there could be instances, uh, hopefully, and they have been very rare in our history, where someone has violated their public trust, have violated their office, abused their office in such a way that we believe that they no longer should be able to even stand for election, but should uh, immediately be removed. And so those are the two ways that we hold especially presidents accountable. And part of this discussion is going to be one, yes, is this an offense at all is is was this wrong at all but then the second question is going to be what is the best recourse for our country in addressing and dealing with that if we think and come to the conclusion a wrong has been done and this is not just going to be the level of the offense but what is best for the uh, american people what is best for the common good i think those are all questions that we are going to have to take the time as much as we are in a 30 second media culture to really parse these things out to be patient, thoughtful, prayerful as we do this. Patient, thoughtful, prayerful. I'm writing those down. Patient, thoughtful, prayerful. I'm writing down Proverbs 18.2. Remind us again what it says. Proverbs 18.2 says that uh, um, a fool um, takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion which means that a wise person takes pleasure in understanding and is only then willing and only then uh, charitably willing to give their opinion. Amen. I think we're going to let that stand as our counsel today uh, to everyone, uh, to uh, one another and to everyone who is listening. Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College, thank you so much for joining us. We look forward to our next conversation. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. All right, we're going to take one more quick break, and then we'll be right back. So as we're, uh, as we're considering entering into the conversations of the day, that Proverbs 18.2 verse is, it should just be top of mind. Let that be top of mind. It occurs to me that there are lots of times that we enter into the conversations of the day with our opinions 
and not uh, as people who are bringing either the mind of Christ nor the word of God to bear on the conversations of the day. And that's a criticism of myself. That's, uh, that's just an acknowledgement that there are times that I give people a piece of my mind when what people really need is, a, is the peace, the peace, P-E-A-C-E, the, the peace of the mind of Christ. And so just think about that for just a moment. When you enter into the conversations of the day, um, are you quick to listen and slow to speak, or are you quick to speak and slow to listen? Are we seeking first to understand, or are we seeking first to be heard? Um, so, you know, uh, I remember like Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I went to business school, so that was actually one of the things we read. And habit five is seek first to be understood. Uh, or seek, excuse me, seek first to understand and then only to be understood. And it's drawn just directly from the scriptures, right? It's just drawn directly from uh, this this reality, this idea that we are supposed to be people who are slow to speak and quick to listen. And so just let's maybe settle on that for uh, for a moment today and recognize that we don't have all of the information. We don't know what the position of the other person is in terms of their social location or the ideas and thoughts and fears that they're bringing to the conversation. We don't really know what's going on in their life unless we ask, unless we ask. And so if we want to have uh, families and a culture that are characterized more by harmony than they are by conflict, we're going to have to be the people who lead into that. We're going to have to be the people who sow peace. We're going to have to be the people who seek first to understand and only then to be uh, secondarily to be understood. So that's what we're doing here. We're seeking to develop the mind of Christ on the matters of the day in order that we can be equipped to walk those ideas out into the world that God so loves in ways that are consistent with the gospel. So we'll be right back at it here in just a moment. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.